Hi, and welcome. I'm Steve Martorano, and this is the Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the Behavioral Corner. Please hang around a while. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Behavioral Corner. I'm Steve Martorano. You know the deal, or maybe not. We hang on a corner. We picked a great spot. It's a busy spot. It's a bodega across the street. The newsstand down the corner. Obviously, you can get coffee anywhere. And we wait for interesting people to uh, come by. We grab them and we we hang and we talk about stuff. It's all about behavioral health. Uh, our underwriters, um, Retreat Behavioral Health, have given us a very broad mandate to talk about the way we behave, which influences all of that, our emotional, our physical, and our psychological well-being. So that's what we do, and we're fortunate always to run into very interesting people, at least we think so. So we hope you're joining us regularly for the Behavioral Corner. You know, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this interview today. I have been sort of morbidly fascinated by the topic of cults and cult-like behavior and cultists, I guess since Charlie Manson. I, I mean, I maybe before that, but I, that's the one that stands out in this baby boomer's mind, and I'm sure it does in many other people. We're going to take a deep dive, as deep as we can, on uh, cults their influences, their dangers, maybe their benefits. I don't know. So what we do is we go get somebody who knows what they're talking about, since I'm asking the questions and I don't know anything. Dr. Steve Eichel joins us. Dr. Eichel is a licensed board certified psychologist. He's an expert in this field. He's a a board member and a past president of uh, an organization called the International Cultic Studies Association. So we tell you we get people, we get people. Hello, Dr. Eichel. Thanks for joining us. Morning. So, I mean, Charlie's probably the most famous. I mean, the Manson people, maybe the most illustrious or infamous cult. Would you agree? Probably depends a little bit on generation. My generation, that may be the case. But also in my generation, there's, you know, Jonestown. Probably most people who've at least followed cults in the media, if you would ask them when they think of a cult, what do they think of? I'd say it's probably maybe 50% Charlie and 50% Jonestown. When we talk about cults, what are we talking about? What is a cult? Well, the term cult has multiple definitions. And so there's a sociological definition of a cult, which, which involves basically a charismatic uh, person that, that people kind of gather around. So there's like the Elvis Presley cult, that sort of thing, or the Beatles cult. That's a sociological definition. The theological definition is different yet. The definition that I use really, um, and the terms that, that we tend to use are destructive cults. We talk about destructive cults. So a destructive cult is, is a group that typically um, uh, headed by most often a male, but occasionally a woman as well, who claims and uh, people believe they have either some connection with divinity or they are a divinity or they are many groups... Uh, you know, claim to, the leader claims to be the uh, second coming of Jesus, or if it's a political group, a political cult, and they, they certainly do exist, the leader of that group is uh, assigned characteristics that go way beyond the normal or usual political leadership. Think of someone like Karl Marx, who, you know, hardcore Marxists believe that, you know, he was the end-all and be-all of history, that Marx described history more accurately and better than anyone else. And And that's the truth, period. Class warfare is what defines human history throughout time, period. There's no questioning of that. Mm -hmm. I alone can fix it. Right. So there's usually 
either a charismatic leader, there's usually some form of closed ideology. In other words, an ideology that does not change with facts and with new information. And most importantly, it typically involves uh, what I would refer to as unethical recruitment methods, like love bombing, for example, or out-and-out seduction, like Children of God slash the family uh, actually had women go out and engage in what they refer to as flirty fishing. And then finally, and, mo- and also very importantly, the use of coercive techniques to bring people into the group and most importantly, to maintain them in the group. So if I understand that, if you remove uh, the dangerous or illegal methods from the definition, in other words, if coercion is not an issue, correct, then you don't have a cult. That's right. That is a central feature. We celebrate, you know, the Boston Tea Party. I mean, we celebrate, you know, somebody once said, and I don't know, probably many people have said, whether someone's a terrorist or a liberator depends on who wins. You know, a lot of groups, the Puritans, were booted out of England because they were essentially fanatics. <laughs> they were crazy. And they came to the United States not to seek religious freedom, <laughs> but to impose their will on yes. the populace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't remember that part of Thanksgiving. All right, so let us get right to the nitty-gritty here. We're recording this after the events of um, Wednesday uh, last week, and we all know what happened. Were those people the ones we saw, we can't comment on the whole group that descended on Washington. Were they motivated by cultic behavior? Were they part of a cult? Well, again, that, that goes to how one defines a cult. And of course, my, my friend Steve Hassan wrote one of the very first books on uh, what he referred to as a cult of Trump. That gets, you know, the same question comes up with, for example, the National Socialists, i.e. Nazi movement in uh, in Germany. The Nazi movement started off as a political cult and then, of course, came to rule the country. So you now had an entire country that was under the uh, thumb of a cult. Le- legally, they, they came to power legally. That's so there's right. no coercion there, right? There was lots of deception and there's lots of unethical behavior, but there is no formal coercion until Hitler was named chancellor. Yes. And yes. the first thing he did was ban all the opposition. Now, that's an important piece because information control is essential in cultic dynamics. Scientology literally makes its members use their own browser. Their browser is uh, programmed to keep off of your computer anything that's critical of Scientology. That whole area of the of the methods and techniques they use, not so much to recruit, but to maintain group uh, cohesion right. and and uh, it, uh, fasting. I'm going to put that off to the side for one second and just go back to this notion of the central elements that make possible the rise of something like this. And now, putting aside the methods again, coercion and all that, all of the descriptions you've made seem to incorporate at some level, if not a very powerful idea or always, it seems, a very powerful person, a Uh, charismatic figure. Some of the older groups, for example, uh, and I'm not sure, there are many people who feel that ISKCON is no longer really a cult in the same way that it used to be, ISKCON being the Hare Krishnas, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. But, you know, the founder of ISKCON, Prabhupada, died, and uh, a bunch of years ago, L. Ron Hubbard, of course, died. Uh, or excuse me, uh, ascended to another level of operating Thetan, you know, uh, and and Miscavige, of course, took over Scientology and is probably going to be there for the end of Scientology. I uh, because he's such a 
he's a character. I'll just leave it at that. And there are some people who believe that he even murdered his wife because no one's heard from her. For some oh, yes. Yes. Local, a local fellow, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. From the Delaware Valley. Uh, Miss Cabbages? Yeah, I think he is. Oh, I didn't know. I know he's lived here for at, at some point. Yeah. Well. So anyway, yeah, because there's plenty of examples of that. I mean, Jesus died. <laughs> and the power of the whatever message was his followers spread was so, uh, it was, uh, obviously it changed the world, the, the power of that message. But at the beginning, it was the charisma of this young rabbi, apparently, right. and, and the people around him to spread that message. And it changed the world. There are people who question even the existence of, uh, of Jesus. But nobody questions that Muhammad was a real person. And he's probably a good example of, of a, a cult leader at that time. And Let's talk about, uh, I think we got a handle on this, this notion of a charismatic figure, uh, maybe uh, messianic in, in their uh, uh, pronouncements, um, the use of uh, coercion to bring people together. Tell us about the people who are, I won't use the word susceptible because it's a pejorative, but who is attracted to that sort of message? Uh, well, tell us, who, who, who's attracted to that kind of message? I'll say who can be attracted to that kind of message. Because uh, everybody, right? <laughs> uh, well, no, not everybody. Uh, psychopaths are not, uh, and, and severely psychotic people are not. Psychopaths, why? Because they're not joiners? Well, yeah, because because we're talking about social influence. And, of course, someone who's a sociopath, they're not subjected. That's why prisons and mental hospitals are so bad at, ref- at quote-unquote, reforming the people who are there because they don't respond the way you and I do to social influence or social pressure. I mean, they're, you know, social influence and social pressure has, of course, its negative side. We all know that. Wars, cults, etc., but of course, it's also what keeps, I mean, social pressure and social influence is what allows us to be civilized. So, you know, there, there are positives and negatives to that as well as everything. But basically, the, the best explanation for cultic membership that I've ever heard, and this was an explanation given by uh, Albert Bender, a very famous uh, psychologist. He wasn't talking specifically about cults. He was talking about other things, uh, but, he, but cults came into the picture. And uh, what he said was the single biggest factor in cult recruitment is bad luck. Now, what do I mean by that? Or what did he mean by that, more importantly? Mm-hmm. It means that the vast majority of us at various points in our lives are vulnerable to cultic influence. Typically, those are during periods of transition or periods of great questioning. So cult recruiters will go after uh just started college or have moved or have gotten divorced or have been lost their jobs. So typically it's some major transition that is either conflicted or negative, like a divorce. Basically everyone who lives, uh, you know, who lives at least a certain amount of time, you know, we all go through these periods of transition. What separates a cult member from someone else is a cult member had the bad luck of running into a cult recruiter at that time. Uh, okay, I get sure I understand that. Uh, wrong place, wrong time. Right. I guess what comes up for many of us, from uh, lay people looking at cult cultists, is how could they believe that they must be stupid? Yep, uh, that's wrong. That's a comment remark that I get from people all the time, and it is absolutely incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are not very many studies because cults are notoriously secretive, uh, but the few studies uh, that are out there. The average IQ of a cult member is about 110, which is high average. 
course, many have uh, college educations or have been recruited uh, at college. Not only does it have nothing to do with intelligence, but actually, for a lot of people, intelligence uh, predisposes them to cultic uh, connections because most cults, for the ideology is difficult to understand. So you have to have a, you know, a low IQ person reading Scientology uh, uh, theology or even Dianetics is going to look at it and go, this is garbage. Ignorance is bliss. In, in some cases it is, yeah. So generally speaking, the typical person who's recruited into a cult, personalities vary tremendously. The one thing or two things that, that they tend to have in common is, number one, they seek to have a positive impact on the world. So these people tend to be idealistic. They tend to want to have, you know, they, they seek meaning. They want to have an impact. They want to do good. That's the bottom line. Almost every person who becomes involved in a cult wants to do good. So that's that's one thing. The second thing is it's intellectually challenging. Most cultic groups are intellectually and emotionally, psychologically challenging. And people, uh, you know, the cognitive dissonance theory tells us that the more effort we put into something, the more we're going to value it. And cults, of course, demand full you know, all your efforts, basically. Yeah, that last point is also uh, evidence of why it's so very difficult to change someone's mind. The more effort they put into the belief system, the harder it is to change it. We are talking to uh, Steve Eichel. He is a, a board-certified uh, and licensed psychologist. He's the president of the International Cultic Studies Association. They've been around since, what, 1979? Uh, they meet all over the world to discuss this because... Cults are all over the world. This is the Behavioral Corner. Do not go away. Studies show that 2020 has negatively affected the mental health of millions of Americans. That is why at Retreat, we work to provide comprehensive mental health programming through our Synergy Health programs. To learn more about Synergy and the comprehensive mental and behavioral health services we offer, call us today at 855-802-6600. Okay, Doc, uh, let's get back into this because it gets every time you say something, it triggers four or five more um, thoughts in my head. We just we were just talking about the sort of person who might be attracted to uh, cults. They are often intelligent. They are altruistic. Do they also not share in common this sense that something's wrong in my life or the world, and in order to fix it, I've got to separate from the larger society. Do they all have that characteristic? First part of your statement, yes. The second part is something that they, that's what the cult tells them. They don't usually go into a group saying, I need to separate myself from society. They usually, uh, in fact, most people become involved in cults want to influence society. Uh, you know, that's part of their desire. But the cult will then eventually tell them to maintain their purity, you know, to maintain their uh, their spiritual purity, their political purity, whatever kind of purity it is. It's always some form of purity. To maintain your purity, you need to disconnect from the fill-in-the-blank Satanist, fascist, communist, uh, radical Islamist, uh, whatever, whatever label you want to put in there. Right. Separate yourself from the, the rest of society because they will corrupt you. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, this notion of purity runs across 
the spectrum of this behavior and other behaviors, less um, harmful behaviors. But it does go to the original sin. It goes to this point that somewhere we're wired to say, we're not worthy, we're not right, something needs to be fixed. How do we do it? You do it through religion, do it through substances, you can do it through cult behavior, but it gets back to this notion that there's a deep sense that we're we're not right. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So let let's let's talk about I mean, identify some and I this is this is dicey, I understand, but I assume you think Scientology is a cult. Yes. Without a doubt. Yes. I know recently we all were uh, enthralled with the HBO series about Nexium. Right. And that's another one where I looked at that and I thought these people are as dumb as a box of rocks. I can't believe it. But now that I've heard you talk about it, I understand it. They're a cult, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are branding people in a bonding ritual, literally branding them, that's a pretty good tip that you're a, you're a cult. Well, especially if the brand includes the, the your initials. initials. Yes. Let, let me let me back up for a moment. Go ahead. You know, I get asked that a lot. And, yeah. uh, and, and one of the things I really think is important to understand is that what I really work at and what we, what people in the field tend to work at is, is not whether or not a group is a cult, but are there cultic processes? Because, for example, there are what some people refer to as one-on-one cults. Most people refer to them as coercive, controlling, abusive relationships. So we're only talking two people there, right? We're yes. Yes. Husband, let's say a husband and a wife. Yes. Is that a cult? No. Is it? Does it involve cultic processes? Absolutely. Ah, yes. Yes. So we need to separate those two things out. And I'm way more comfortable talking about cultic processes than I am talking about a group that is a cult. ISKCON is an example. ISKCON, the uh, Hare Krishnas in the United States, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, were absolutely identified by most people as a cult. But after the death of uh, Prabhupada, governing body council of uh, ISKCON, at least in the United States, there's a reform movement within it. And ISKCON is not the same ISKCON now as it was in 1965. Mm-hmm. There are a number of other religious and, and probably a few political groups that also would qualify as having evolved away from being a cultic group. Most often that happens when the, the leader dies. I think I understand completely what you're saying, because well, if we begin to try to identify groups or, uh, as cults, it's a slippery slope. Uh, one man's cult is another man's baseball fan. That's exactly right, because the cultic process involves a cultic relationship. So, you know, it's it's the cult and the individual. Let me give you a really good example. My dissertation, my doctoral dissertation was on deprogramming. It's the only dissertation that I'm aware of that was on deprogramming. To do that dissertation, I observed a number of deprogrammings and then uh, one from beginning to end, and that was the main subject of my dissertation. But at any rate, there was one deprogramming that I that I went to. There were two, two guys, two boys. I think they were brothers, but I'm not sure. And they were in the Hare Krishnas. And so they were, quote unquote, kidnapped, taken to a safe house. And, you know, the deprogrammers were there. Well, within the first night, and I was there to observe. And within the first night, uh, it turned out that these two boys, right, they were involved in the Krishna drug smuggling operation, which we all knew about. Uh, the Krishnas at that time uh, would go to India, hollow out idols, put drugs in them, and then bring them back. And because they were religious, monks, you know, they, they weren't treated by customs in the same way that you and I would be. This was an ongoing. Well, if they were, if they were like the rest of us at an airport, we avoided them. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> True that. So, so, uh, so these boys were going back and forth. They were skimming off of that. They were slugs on their own on the side and making a lot of money. So when that came out, it was like, well, why would they leave? (laughs) Yeah, these weren't cultists. These were con artists. Right. These were con artists who wandered into the Krishnas, found a good deal, and, uh, you know, and and were making a lot of money at that point. So you have to understand that that it's it's wrong. Back in the 70s, you know, there was the, the zombie theory of cult membership that, you know, they were all, were all blind, glassy eyed zombies, you know, yeah. et cetera. And that's just not true. It's just, mm-hmm. as true. yeah. Mostly. Yeah. There is something to the notion that these people can be brainwashed, that, that they're can be, or can't be, can be cultists. I mean, all brainwashing is a principal feature, isn't it? All of us can be again, once again, unless you're blatantly, unless you're really psychotic or a sociopath, you're right, yeah. We'll be brainwashed at various points in our lives because it's, it's brainwashing is social influence. That's what it is. Steve Eichel, our, our guest, uh, Dr. Eichel, deals with this uh, topic, uh, as you can see, uh, in, in a very learned way. Real quickly, is there any protection against becoming a cult member? Um, yes. I think the best protection is, of course, education. Self-awareness is important. And the single most important thing that I ask people to do is take time. If you get recruited into something, for anything, you know, if I came up to you and said, I have a Tesla that I can sell you for $20,000, what would you do? Right? You'd investigate me. You'd, you'd want to look at the Tesla, right? You'd want to check it out. Sure. Obviously, no, you can't buy a Tesla for 20 grand. So, you know, it's like uh, the sidewalks of New York when I used to live in New York. And, you know, they people come up to you and go, hey, man, I've got, you know, this gold. Sure. It's fake. So the first thing you have to do, most cult recruiters, and this is one of the ways you can distinguish between someone who's ethical and unethical in their attempt to recruit you. Most cult recruiters will want you to, you know, sign up now. You got to do it now. All right. The world's going to end. Mm-hmm. Every second counts. You know, we have to save. We've got to clear the planet and every person and every moment counts. So don't wait until next week. Come to the whatever we're doing now. The biggest advice I can give the people is when you hear that, run away, look into it, talk to people, consult experts, okay? Look into what you're, what you might be getting involved in, number one. Number two, understand the foot in the door technique, all right? Which is every salesperson knows this, all right? And that involves, you know, not making big demands initially, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, on Scientology, oh, you know, yes, I would like you to do the bridge to freedom and become an OTA, but you don't have to. Just take the communications course, that will improve, that in and of itself will improve your life, all right? So, you know, figure, ah, communications course, it doesn't even cost me anything or it costs me a minimum amount of money. What harm can that be? Mm-hmm. That's a foot in the door technique, all right? That's a, any, any good salesperson knows uh, that, you know, you don't, well, in, in sales, of course, it's called upselling, right? You know, so you, you get the person a little bit, you know, you're going to buy a car. Now I'm going to sell you, you know, the big package with it, the, the, yeah. the extended warranty. The undercoating and all, all that. Blah, 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 blah. So that's what cults do. And people need to understand that when a group says, this isn't going to be a big deal for you, you're not going to change your major life. You yeah. don't have to, you could, Scientology says, you can be a practicing Christian or a Jew or a Hindu. We are not. You can be that and be a Scientologist, which is true unless you really get deeply involved. That's the other point I want to make clear. With the bigger cults, there's usually an inner group that's very clearly, quote-unquote, brainwashed. And then a lot of people kind of on the, 
the, the periphery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting about that about that whole uh, uh, be forewarned, and it always reminds me of that cliches are all true. That's how they became cliches. Uh, and the one that comes to mind here is if somebody's selling you something that appears too good to be true, <laughs> it's too good to be true. <laughs> so, you know, start from there. Steve Eichel, will you come back and hang with us? We have a lot more to talk about this. Okay. Sure. I, I appreciate it. And the uh, rest of y'all, don't forget you follow us Facebook, uh, Instagram, all those other uh, all those other places. Um, and catch us next time on the Behavioral Corner. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here. That's it for now. And make us a habit hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook. Instagram and Twitter on the Behavioral Corner.